You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you're seated up in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 3. Now last week we began having a look at understanding tithing under the new covenant. Now if you weren't here last week, I do encourage you to go and get that part because and listen to it. Because I laid a very strong foundation in the Word of God. And it's something that's vitally important for us to know as believers. It's something that I want to encourage each and every person that if you are listening, if this is your first time here, understand that there's so much to the gospel. There's so much we study and learn about. And there are also important factors that sometimes some places, some churches, some pastors maybe find tender to deal with because it can be controversial, but we don't shy away from controversial subjects because ignorance is one of the lead causes of destruction. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, not because of a lack of money or a lack of opportunities or a lack of the right upbringing or education. No, it's a lack of knowledge. Because if the enemy can keep us ignorant, he can keep us out of the full power of God's word. And the way he does that, he tries to make things either politically incorrect to say. Uh, so much sin today has even been written into legal law that is outright sin as far as God is concerned. But we, we are a people that are not afraid of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power to salvation. And you say amen to that. Everyone experienced the full power that God has for us. Well, God's given us principles in the word. And those principles are there for a reason. If we don't understand them, we don't practice them, we'll land short every time. But praise God, as we do study the word, we do what we do, whatever we do, we do by the written word of God. And the easiest way for the enemy to tempt us is to challenge us on the word. When he tempted Jesus, he first of all tempted him in the realm of the, the natural, uh, the realm of natural desire, which is exactly where he caught Adam the very first time. But Jesus recounted that with, it is written. And so the enemy then tried to get him on pride, and he counted that with, it is written. So he said, okay, if it is written, let's quote the word. And he comes back with, and it is written. But you don't get Jesus that way because he is the word. And he just came right back with, it is written. Now, family of God, he didn't do that by his power as God. He, he literally used the same word you have available today. So if anyone ever comes to you and says, why do you do this? You should be able to say, it is written. Not that's my church or my pastor. I don't know. I, we just suppose that's just the way we've always done it. No, no. You have to know the purpose behind it and why it's there. And so we, we've been having a look at the, the covenant of rest. Everybody say rest. And that's a whole nother volume. And if you missed that, that is a series you have to get where we studied and had a look at what the Sabbath is to the new covenant believer and how God intends for us to live a life of rest in his full provision in everything. You know, when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he paid for your eternal life. That's not just uh, it can be in heaven for eternity. That's so you can enjoy his life today. And I want to experience it in its fullness today. How do you say amen to that? 
And so we had a lot of study around Hebrews chapter 4 about entering that rest and the concepts around it. And leading up to that, we saw in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, when Jesus, in the beginning, he is the word. That was long before he was even known as Jesus, because Jesus is the name he was named when he entered into his physical body through the womb of Mary. So that was the time he was given the name Jesus, which means Savior. So he was born to save mankind. And that was his function on the earth while he was in the earth. His calling was to demonstrate the kingdom, to preach the gospel, to show how the kingdom works, and then to give us instruction that we could live a kingdom life and how we can overcome anything that the enemy brings against us through the power of the spoken word and believing in God, having faith in God. He then went into, his, into the calling as the lamb, was sacrificed on the cross to pay for your sin and my sin, rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, he was given the name above every name, and at that name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Now he is raised up on high, seated at the right hand of the Father, and has taken up a new function before he comes back to receive us. And then he's no longer the lamb. He's then the lion of Judah. In between there and now is this calling that he's now the apostle. He's the sent one. Why was he sent? is in order to bring us into a kingdom life with our Father, be reconciled to our Father, and now he holds the office of the high priest of our confession. The high priest of our confession. Everybody say priest. Say high priest. Say confession. So if he's the high priest of our confession, that's his responsibility. If he is the high priest of our confession, then we must be doing something that he can be high priest over. What is that? It's in the title. High priest of? And our confession means we speaking. So a silent Christian doesn't have their high priest working on their behalf, ministering on their behalf. He wants to minister on your behalf. But he can only use what we give him to use. He is the high priest of our confession. Everybody say, the high priest of my confession. And so we saw in verse 18, he, whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey, we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Talking about the children in the wilderness, we found out that we're not going to fall into the same trap of unbelief. Get down to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, there remains of a promise of entering his rest. Let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. And then verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, yells the instruction. Let us hold fast our confession. What does hold fast mean? It means you have to continue with it. It's not a once-off event. So the day you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the day you were born again was because of confession. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he, he, he paid for all your sin, all of our sin, the whole world. Every single human has had their sin paid for. Well, then how come people go to hell? Well, it's because not because of their sins. It's because of unbelief. Same way the children of Israel could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. They disqualified themselves. They disqualified themselves from entering. Any moment, anyone could believe. Joshua and Caleb proved that. They were of the old generation, but they believed, and that qualified them to enter. So remember that. So your salvation was qualified on your confession. The moment you confessed, you were born again. So the same way we are now walking in the new covenant, he's saying, hold fast your confession. Don't just do it once when you get saved. This is now a lifestyle of confession. Everybody say a lifestyle of confession. Come down to chapter 7, we saw there where we were introduced to this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the God Most High, who met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abram, Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So we saw this Melchizedek, and we recognize that Jesus has been raised in the order of Melchizedek. Hallelujah. Go have a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, no, Hebrews 5, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10, that Jesus is called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, we had a look at that last week. We saw that the way we see Melchizedek introduced us was that Abraham had gone and conquered those kings to recover his nephew Lot and all the goods, and then he went and presented himself to Melchizedek. And when he presented himself to Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessed him. And after blessing him, Abraham gave him a tenth of all. Remember that word tenth is a Hebrew word, ma'aser. Ma'aser. Now, I'm not Hebrew, so if I'm slightly off on my pronunciation, please excuse me, I'll do much better with English pronunciations. But ma'aser basically is an arithmetic term. It's not a religious term. It means 10%. So it given Abraham 10%. And we saw that from the word, we did a lot of study last week, as I said, this is just to help those that may not have been here, is that that 10% is talking about a return to God after being blessed. It's not to buy the blessing. And it wasn't under law. And so in honoring God, he honored him with a tithe. We saw that with Jacob as well. Hallelujah. And now we see Jesus taking up the same priesthood according to the same order. Or what was the order? Remember, he brought out the covenant meal. He blessed him, and Abraham returned the tithe. Now we see the writer of Hebrews saying the same thing. He's, he's now recounting that. He, verse 4, he says, Consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth. Now that word in the Greek is the word dekate. 
D-E-K-A-T-E. Also, the deck is the tenth. It's again, 10% off. He's talking about Abraham giving a tenth, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is from their brethren, through though they have come from the loins of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had promises. Now what I pick up from that verse, because sometimes people will argue what Abraham did was different to the religious tithe, the tithe under the law. But yeah, we see the right of Hebrews putting them together, saying they're the same thing. And when people want to argue that, but the tithe is grain and harvest and, and sheep and goats. But Abraham, when he came back from war, came back with spoil. And you know spoil from war is treasure. And he gave a tenth of that. So we must be very careful how the enemy can use what sounds religious and sounds, you know, right to try and take away from what God wants us to do. Uh, we see the tithe, yeah, all spoken of in one subject by the writer of Hebrews. And he's saying that the tithe that Abraham did was to Melchizedek. Yeah, today men receive tithes, and that's under the law, but he's putting it together, and you can in fact see it when he goes on to say, why is that important to know? Because verse 7, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Yeah, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it's witnessed that he lives. Now, who's that? That would be Jesus. Jesus lives forever. I said, Jesus is the one that was from the beginning of time without genealogy. Amen. We're not talking about his earthly body. We're talking about him as the word. And he's saying here, verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So there's a spiritual principle here that when the man... The, the priesthood received the tithes from the people. They received the goods. But effectively, in doing that, they were tithing. By doing that, they were tithing through Abraham to Melchizedek. It's an eternal tithe. It's an eternal tithe. So why do we do it in the natural? Because there's always first a natural demonstration that you see a spiritual result from. You notice when you trust God for healing, lay hands on the sick, they will recover. There's a spiritual truth revealed through that. Think of communion. You're eating bread and you're drinking grape juice. Why is that spiritual? It's, it's just a natural thing. No, in the eating of the bread, you're remembering the broken body of Jesus. In ingesting the grape juice, you're receiving the blood that Jesus shed. That's why Jesus said such an outlandish statement, if, unless you eat my flesh and drink my body, you have no part of me. And those people that couldn't understand the spiritual truth go, oh, is that cannibalism or whatever? He wasn't talking about that. He's saying, partake of my life. There's a spiritual aspect to it. But you notice how it's demonstrated in the natural Jesus paid for your sins spiritually, but his physical body had to die. So you notice the, the whole kingdom's constructed around physical demonstration that then triggers, if you want to put it that way, a spiritual
process. So by bringing the natural tithe, that's just a transaction that happens between a person to the priest. But in doing that, it's triggering the spiritual concept of honoring God when Abraham brought the tithe to Melchizedek, and that stands forever as an eternal process. So whenever you bring your tithe to the Lord, it is Jesus in heaven that's receiving it. You don't tithe to a man. You're not tithing to a congregation. You're not tithing to a people. So now, in bringing your tithe to the Lord, you may be laying it at the feet of an apostle. You may be bringing it to a congregation and you bring it to a church building. But in doing that, there is a transaction happening in heaven. Jesus himself, your high priest, is receiving the tithe. Now, is he receiving the natural money? Heaven doesn't need money. The streets are made of pure gold, so pure, it's transparent. That's why people have a problem with, you know, luxury, uh, high-end goods and that type of thing. No, in heaven, God uses gold for driveway. Amen. We usually make the roads with the cheapest material possible. (laughs) Strongest possible, cheapest possible. No, he, he uses pure gold. So you understand God doesn't need our actual money. So tithing's much more than the financial transaction. Say amen. And so we saw in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 8 uh, from the Passion Translation, although the Jewish priests received tithes, they all died, they were mortal, but Melchizedek lives on. And we understood that that we believe that that is in the life of Jesus. Jesus is the one who's eternal. Say amen. So we've had already had a look and we said, well, then what purpose does the law serve? And that's, that's somewhere where a lot of people have a challenge. You know, we don't want to, we know we're free. We set free by grace. We live by grace. We're no longer dependent on the law for eternal life. Jesus is the one that gave us life And the only thing you need to know is that you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And once you're born again, you're saved. There's nothing else you can possibly do to make you more saved. Jesus did it. He paid for it in full. Well, then what was the purpose of the law? And we saw from the Word of God that the law was our tutor. Everybody say tutor. That's a coach. Amen. That's Galatians 3. You can read it for yourself. We've already studied it, verse 19 and 23 to 25. So, God has given us this promise of life, freedom from the curse. And the law is there to teach us and show us. Because like Paul said, he said he didn't even know sin until he knew the law. But through the law, sin was exposed. And in that exposing of sin, you recognize your need for a Savior. And so, if we didn't have the law, we wouldn't think we ever needed a Savior. No, the law's purpose was to say we are so out of line. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. When you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you're born again. Now that I'm born again, I am made the righteousness of God. But have you know in the kingdom of God, righteousness manifests in a lifestyle. Be holy even as I am holy is the instruction from God. Well, I've got no idea what holiness is. Well, here's the law. 
So we now, we will never be able to achieve it all in our natural life because of the flesh. And that's why we praise God that Jesus gave us the promise that if we do sin and we confess that sin, he's faithful and does just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But now that I'm forgiven, I now have a tutor to guide me and teach me. I can continuously keep learning. And you know that no matter what we do, you think of anything, you think of any career, you think of anything you do, a sport, whatever you do, how you know you never reach a point where you say, that's it, now I know everything, I've studied everything, I've practiced everything, I'm now perfect. There's always something more to do, something else to do. Yeah, you can tweak this, tweak that, read up on this again, do this exercise again, do this exercise again. And you, you realize you, you, you were always working on what, you know, they say work on your weaknesses. You identify somewhere where there's a gap, and you work on that. But you find out in working that, you've neglected this. And so you work on that, and then you neglect the other. Are you with me? So the same way, the Word of God is continuously bringing to our remembrance, oh, we need to spend more time with God. Oh, I need to read my Word more often. Oh, I need to, go and, I need to get back to leading again. I need to get back to mentoring. I need to, are you with me? Uh, I haven't re- led someone to the Lord recently. I need to go lead someone to the Lord. You're getting a hold of what I'm saying. So it's this constant, that's where the tutor keeps reminding us of what we need to be living towards. It's not our whether we're going to make it for God or not. It's his demonstration of how we can live life and live that life successfully. Hallelujah. So he goes, let's go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. So we can read the law and learn from it because the principle is eternal. That's already established. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? God says, in tithes and offerings. Everybody say tithes and offerings. Evidently, tithe and offering are two different things. Sometimes people confuse the two together. So it's very clear. God considers tithes and offerings different. So in other words, the offering is not a tithe. Why? We already saw from Leviticus, the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy. It's a very sacred thing. And if it's holy and sacred to God, that wasn't just under the law system. Everything that this earth produces, God says, listen, everything already belongs to God. But then he gave it to man to steward. And God says, the way you keep that in place is return the first to me. What do you think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil really was about? Think about this. God told Adam, the day you eat that tree, you will die. Now, I know there's a bunch of people. I've seen memes, you know, with, you know when we get to heaven and you're going to see Adam like, like, no one needs to see where I am. Because everyone's going to, I've got a few questions to ask Adam. What, what were you thinking? I mean, how do you know what I'm talking about? Because, I mean, the whole earth, the whole system was thrown into a curse because of that bad decision. I mean, that's major. Unleashing the curse through all of the universe. Now, if that tree was so dangerous, ask yourself, why put it in the garden? Hello? You buy a brand new gun loaded with ammunition, 
You show it to the children. You pull this trigger, it'll kill you. And then you put it in their toy box. Don't touch it. Would you do that? What father would do that? What were you thinking, God? You know how bad and how dangerous that is. Keep it in heaven. Lock it away. Put it in a deep cave somewhere where no one can ever find it. Ask yourself, why is it there in the tree? Obedience is never proven until it's tested. You have to have an alternative. You have to have an alternative to establish obedience. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder, not the alternative. And the only way you can prove you believe God is when you've considered the alternative and you still choose him. Then belief is established. And God said, as long as you don't eat from that tree, I'm putting it here, it's an alternative. But every time you reject it, you're blessed. The day you eat it, that blessing will stop working. You've entered another system and now you curse. You see that? That's all that it was. It was Adam every day. He had to tend the tree. He had to look after it. God said, tend all the trees. But that was saying to God, this is yours. I'm seeking you first. I'm leaning not to my own understanding. I'm acknowledging you. I don't need the knowledge of good and evil. You are my source. You are my life. And if he presented the tree as that never ate from it, he would have stayed in that blessing. He'd still be alive today. All of us worshiping God. No curse. But you know what happened. The curse came in. So what did God do? He sent Jesus. Galatians 3. Jesus became a curse for us. It's written, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham may be restored. You see that. So now you've got to understand that from this purpose. When God says the tithe is his, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, acknowledge that, you'll always be blessed. Then he keeps that tracking all the way through. And so obviously he gets to the children of Israel and they aren't born again. Jesus hasn't paid the price yet, but he wants them in the blessing place. So he says, keep returning what's mine. Now, because you've robbed me, because you've taken what belongs to me, he says in verse 9, you cursed with a curse. Now, that's where this has been mistaught, where uh, in times past people use fear to get people to tithe. If you don't tithe, God will curse you. That's a lie. God will never use something he paid for on the cross to destroy us. The way I read this is equivalent to saying, if you turn the light switch off, you will be in the dark. If, we put, if somebody right now flicked all the switches off and we're in the dark now, you can't blame that on the power because we have power to the building. It's evident. Are you with me? But if someone bumps the switch and goes off, we're in the dark, it's not because the power company stopped. So the power is still in the house, but you've got to make sure the switch stays on. Okay? So how do we keep the switch on? Verse 10. Bring, how much? All the tithe to the storehouse. Why? 
so that there's food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, family, this is the only place God challenges us to test him. Even Jesus, when I said just now, when he was tempted by the devil, his first response was, you don't test God. You don't tempt God. You don't ever. Every scripture we believe because God said it. You don't try it out and see if it's true. You either believe it or you don't. And in believing it, you will live that way and you'll act on it. And yes, the only place God, in fact, puts out the challenge, yeah, I'm giving you permission to test it. Obviously, this is important to God. Something the enemy wants to keep us away from. What does he say? Test me. Bring the whole tithe to the house of God and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, family of God, that's Lord of hosts. When you see that word, Lord of hosts, you go read that up in the original Hebrew. It literally talks about the commander of the army. The commander of the army. God says, I will give my military force charge to make sure that this happens. You bring that tithe before me and you will see my whole military force, my angelic force go into action to protect you. Protect your field, to protect your income, to protect the produce from that income. Why? Because you're honoring God. As long as you find someone who's prepared to bring the tithe, which is his, as I said before, whether a person's saved or not, whatever they produce, the tenth belongs to God. When someone finds that out and says, I'll bring it in, God sees that as a channel to bring finances into his house. For what reason? That there's food in the house. The preaching of the gospel. And as that is brought in, somebody who's involved with that, God says, I will protect that person. I will cover them. I'll look after them. Their business will never fail. Their income will never stop. I will always make sure they are provided. Why? Because they're honoring me and they're honoring my kingdom. Come on, give Jesus praise. You've got a hold of that. And notice this. All nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now notice it says, bring all the tithes. Notice all the tithes. You see, plural. So evidently from that, there's more than one tithe. See, a lot of times people argue over the tithe. The tithe is the tithe. Well, if you want to really start talking about tithe, let's talk about tithes. And very few people have done studies here to go and find out exactly what it is. But here, we always find out what the truth is. You will find that there are at least five. You can put it under five. You can argue about which one goes under which heading, whatever. But just for sake of study, there's at least five different ways 
tithes and or offering sacrifices were brought in. At least five. As I say, you can categorize them differently. That's fine. We can still be friends. This is just a study that helps me to focus on it. Number one is the teruma. The teruma. Now, that's a Hebrew word. Every time you see the word heave offering, have you seen that in the Bible as you read it? Only four people. The rest of you, Bible college is a wonderful place. Go and study it. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Everybody say heave offering. So the heave offering is a teruma. You get a reference there is Numbers chapter 15, verse 18 to 19. That's just one of them. There's many other references. But what that is, is that the teruma was a consistent giving that they did all the time. Uh, out of all of their produce, it wasn't even the tithe, it wasn't even an offering, it was just something they did regularly just to keep the generous flow. Remember, flowing water stays fresh. And there's a concept behind generosity. In, in the open hand, in the giving, there's a flow that comes back. There's a continuous ebb and flow, giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. So there's always this continuous outgo called the teruma. Now that's the heave offering. And the amounts varied. It was, you know, and again, under Hebrew study, they said that it's about one-fiftieth portion of your harvest, one-fiftieth. Then it was written in a way, this is what it's written in the text. It says, one-fiftieth portion of harvest or one-fortieth if he were a man of generosity or one-sixtieth if he were stingy. (laughs) So, you know, it it varies. In other words, it's about your heart. That's something I'm, you're going to pick up here. Let me say it here while it's, I've just said it now. You'll notice it's not about the legalistic system. It's about a heart issue. And so this was a continuous blessing, that uh, giving that happened, that continued the flow of that harvest. Then you find the concept of first fruit. Everybody say first fruit. Your reference there is Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 30. Uh, there it talks about when you bring the first fruit in, uh, it'll go to the priest and it'll cause the blessing to rest on your house, according to the word. So you bring the first fruit to the priest as opposed to just the house of God, and then through that, the blessing is spoken and it causes the blessing on the house. And then you'll see other references in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 5. That reveals to us that the tithe and the first fruit are two different things. Sometimes people will call the tithe the first fruit. In a way, it's technical. It can be. Uh, the tithe could be the first fruit. But yeah, in this reference, is bring the tithes and the first fruits. What's the first fruit? The first fruit is whenever you have a field, there's an increase. Then as a result of that increase, that first fruit, you're going to honor God. Well, what does first imply? You, did, you could have said bring all the fruit. No, it was first fruit because first means there's a second. So in honoring God with the first, you're saying, I believe there's more coming. See, again, it's, it's a hard issue. God, I'm, I, I trust you completely. I can give you the first batch because I don't have to hang on to it. Very often when we do get something, like let's say someone comes up and they, they just give you an amount that's beyond anything you've been given before. Or someone gives you a car or gives you a house or something like that. What's our first response if we don't understand the Word of God? That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Isn't that right? 
Oh, wow, that'll never happen again. It was like a lucky shot, man. No, there's no luck in the kingdom of God. God can do it again and again and again and again. And the first fruit says to God, I believe. I don't have to hold on to this because I know there's many more that are coming from here. Hallelujah. You'll see that in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Well, let's read that. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Well, if it's with your possession, that would be from the tithe and all your increase. So the increase is the first fruits. So the first fruits whenever you increase. So the tithe is in your constant income. But if you increase, every time you increase, you say, the first I'm going to give to God to thank him, to honor him. And then you can see the next one. He says, they honor the Lord with the first fruit of all your increase. And there's a promise. Verse 10 So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Hallelujah. And you want to see a constant provision from God. Say this, as I honor God with the first fruit, my bank account will always be filled in Jesus' name. Is that a promise? Family, I just need to say this. Do not be put off by people that don't understand God's promise of prosperity. You know, people want to discount this and they might say, well, Jesus didn't just die so that you could be financially rich. You're right. In a way, there's a comma there. Because he died to give you eternal life. That's the most important thing. He died to pay for our sin. And he rose from the dead, and we are free now, and we're going to heaven one day when we, when, we, when we leave this earth. Hallelujah. But while you're here, he's made provision for your protection. He's made provision for your supply. He's made provision for your health. He paid for all of that on the cross as well. So I'm not going to turn that down. And yeah, are the promises. You can see it in the Word of God. He's very clear on it that you have that blessing available to you. Number three is the sacred tithe. Now, that's the one everybody knows about. What we just read about, Malachi 3 in Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, verse 25 to 28. That's the tithe, the big one, that whatever you produce, 10% goes to the house of God. That almost every believer knows about. But then you also see verse uh, number four is the feast tithe. Now let me help you here again. We've had a look at this concept when we had a look at praying in tongues, for example. Very often people will say, you know, tongues is not for today because of the scripture. No, but that's one of the scriptures. Here's another scripture. There's different types of tongues. How many of you heard? Well, yeah, when I taught that. The same way you've got different sport rules. If you had a sport manual with ball rules, let's say, all sports that you play with balls, and then it was in a ring binder file, and then someone dropped it, and all the pages got mixed up, and you kind of put them back together, you would read through, you'd have to decide, was that soccer rules or is that rugby rules? Are you with me? So the same way there's different types of tongues. So you can't say because of this scripture, you don't pray in tongues. Because when you speak in tongues, you don't speak to men, but to God, which is prayer. 
But then there is tongues when you do speak to people, but then there must be interpretation. And there's other tongues where people just hear you, but you've got to decide which scripture is which. So the same way when it comes to tithes, you've got to understand there are different types of tithes. And if someone says, well, if you look at this scripture, it was only grain. No, but you've got to look at the whole content. Remember I spoke about Revelation, taking all the ingredients of the cake and putting it together in the right environment, you produce the cake. No one eats baking soda on its own. I don't think so. So, but together it works. So the same way when you look at these different ones, you find there is a feast tithe that you'll see in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 to 26. And that was where you took a 10% of everything you had, you went to a holy place, and you ate it. But that's not the sacred tithe. You can say, oh, you see the tithe, you can eat the tithe. You can, you can use it for yourself. No, you, you must remember there's the sacred tithe, that is the Lord's, comes to the house of God. Then you have the feast tithe where you eat of yourself. I use that as a principle in our family is that whatever we receive, first 10% at least goes to God. I don't argue with that because it's his, it's holy. And you'll see now in a while why are we more generous than that because it's a generosity principle. But then we immediately take another 10% and that goes straight into the future, into the investment, into my future. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. See, I'm partaking. Now, I personally won't enjoy it. It's an investment. It's part of the growth, but it's for a future. It's honoring God, saying, whatever you give me, I'm going to make sure I establish a future. So you can use that. 10% for tithing, 10% for investing. Invest in your future and your children's future and your children's children's future. So that's the feast tithe. And then... There's another tithe that was done every three years, which was to the poor, the widows, and the orphans. And that you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28 to 29. Now, family of God, you have a teruma, 50, 150th. You have the first fruit. Every now and then. The sacred tithe, the 10% of everything. The feast tithe, the 10% of everything. And the poor widows and orphans, that's 10% every third year. Now start adding that up. You come to almost 25% plus. That's 25% if you, if you take it over a long span of time. Are you with me? You, you, every three years. That's 25%. And you have people arguing over 10%. So you really want to get down to it. We're talking about way more than 10% here. Do you realize what we're talking about here? How do you realize at the end of the day, God's not about the legalism. It's not. God does nothing for ritualistic purposes. What is the purpose of the law? To be a tutor, to teach us. See, like I've said before, when I got saved, I thought if I gave 100 rand, man, there was a lot of money. Because I had nothing, first of all, and I had to scrounge to just find coins between the couch to try and, you know, under the car seat, what's in the, what's in the ashtray? What can we give this week? Come on, how do you know what I'm talking about? That, that, we had nothing. 
And so when we find out you've got to give generously, well, okay, well, yeah, a hundred rand. Shoo, I sweat it over that. But as you grow and you study, you realize that's not what generosity is. Give as you purpose in your heart by the standard measure you use is the measure that God uses. What's his measure? You study out, you find that it's, it, we're talking in excess of 25%. And you realize that that's not something you just decide to do. No one just decides to do that. It's a life of generosity. Now, I know there's some people that are really, 10% was enough. Now, 25%. When Janine and I lived this life, there have been times when I remember sitting down and I sat, we were in a lot of trouble, stress, and we were trying to figure out what to do. And I would have to do the budget, and you, of course, the tithes first, and then, you know, the bond payment, and then the car payment, and then all the people that are shouting the loudest that month. <laughs> and you, and you, you try and figure out how to pay this off. And eventually when I figured out, okay, that's a plan for this month, then I would get out the checkbook. And you remember those things. Young people, it's a piece of paper that you fill in, and you could use that for money. But you had to have money in the bank, which some people didn't have, but they used the check anyway. So you, you fill out, I was going to now write out all the checks to everybody. And so the very first one would be Christian Family Church, the tithe. And I tore it off. I put it on the, on the pile. Next one was the car payment. Tore that off, put it on. Next one was the next payment. Tore that off, put it on. And I was going through, and I was halfway through doing that, and my own spirit stopped me. I won't say it's God. It may have been him, but I'm not going to put it on him. It's just like an inner conviction. You're just paying a pile of bills. And under that is the tithe, and you did nothing. There was nothing holy about that. And it's not just a pile of bills. The tithe is not just another bill. I took the checks and tore it up. I said, now, Alan Bag, from today... You're going to learn what holy means. I disciplined myself, and I took, I did a calculation of all the money that was left in our bank, and that month, we put it all in. I wrote a check for the total amount. I emptied our account, and I said, to this month, you're going to live by faith on purpose. What have I done? I've entered into a place of, of obligation. And I said to, to Janine, and she was totally with me on it. I said, this month we live by faith. I don't have time to tell you today, but one after the other, miracle after miracle after miracle. You talk about 10%, huh, 25%, that was 100% of what was in the bank. Of course, the tax man already taken his and everybody else. But I'm talking, you understand what I'm saying? So it's not about the percentage. When we start arguing whether the tithe, whether the Christians should tithe or not, it's just 10%. That's the beginning. That's the, 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 the starting point. Unless we're arguing to give less, well, now we're in that stingy area. Come on. You understand what I'm saying? No, family God, it is a principle that even Jesus endorsed. We see in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What's he saying? Sometimes people say, you see, Jesus was more about justice, mercy, and faith. He wasn't, didn't want the tithe. No, he's saying you should be tithing. 
That would be a great place to say, listen, that is under the law. You need to focus more on spiritual matters. No, he was saying the tithe is an eternal principle. You should be doing it, but don't neglect the spiritual aspect to it. Hallelujah. And then if you look under the new covenant, you see under 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You can make the choice. God's not forcing anybody to be generous. Like I've said before, that if, uh, if someone's always wondering why we teach these things, it's just about, you know, we want to get someone's money. No, I don't care where you get I must teach what the Word says. But if you want to be blessed, you want to place it in a place where God calls it to be. And he says here, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. You don't do it because it's a legal law. You do it because it is from a heart of generosity, not grudgingly of necessity. God loves a... Cheerful giver. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you can only give if you're in faith. You can only give cheerfully if you're in faith. Does that make sense? You can only give, say that, I can only give cheerfully if I'm in faith. And this is family, I want to get, uh, just help you. The Lord just prompted me and I want to help somebody here. Is that somebody says, but I don't have an income. How do I tithe? Well, here's the thing. Don't get under, there's no pressure. First of all, never do it under fear. Never do it under fear. Whatever's not of faith is sin. If someone brings their tithe and they are afraid and they're scared, if they give this, it's going to break them, then don't do it because you're not in faith. If someone has no income, how much is their income? Zero. We fast in this church. Now, now I'm going to catch all the maths, people that are afraid of math. What's 10% of zero? Oof, that was. So 10% of zero is you can still tithe. I'm going to show you now. It's a hot thing. It's a hot thing. It's not the financial transaction. It manifests in a financial transaction. But if you, you're zero, zero, uh, you, you're 10% of zero, zero, you can still bring zero and bring it. I'm helping you now. See, verse 8, God is able to make grace abound toward you. You always will have all sufficiency in all things and abundance for every good work. Now come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26. I'm going to show you something that I haven't taught for a long time. So I suspect I'm going to find a lot of people who don't even know this exists. How many believe you're tired? Four, five, and six. Let's have a look. You, you, you can take the slide down. Thank you. I'm done with that. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. It shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, 
that you shall take some of the first of the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, put it in a basket, go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abound. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, what shall you do? Say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God, I've come to the country which the Lord swore to your fathers. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish. He went down to Egypt and he dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us. They afflicted us. They laid hard bondage on us. And we cried out to the Lord God, our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice. And he looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he's brought us into this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Now there's a lot of saying before they lay down their offering. Hello. What are they saying? Remember when we studied the Sabbath? What did God establish the Sabbath originally for with the children of Israel? To remember how he delivered them out of Egypt. What's he saying? When you bring the tithe, Remember where you came from. Remember who delivered you and remember where you are today. Remember it's the Lord who gives you power to get wealth. How do you do that? When you bring the offering, but it's not just you know, a, a quick transfer, a quick transaction, particularly like with EFT today. Some of us have got it on debit order. There it goes, there it goes. But do we remember at that moment to gather and say, I'm going to say, God, I know where I came from. I was in debt. I was in a mess. I was in bondage. I struggled every month, but you got a hold of me and you saved me. I'm going to heaven. Not only that, you provided for me. You look after me. Today, we've got sufficient income. We have children we weren't supposed to have. You've blessed us. Here's your offering. I wonder how many Christians actually do that. I'm, I'm helping you today. And then verse 7, So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord God has given you and in your house which you, the Levite, and the strangers among you. And when you finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase, he has the third year, but the principle is the same, and have given it to the Levite, stranger, fathers, and widows, so that you may eat within the gates and be filled. Verse 13, then, when you've tithed, say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. I've given it to the Levite, the stranger, the father, the widow, according to all your commandments you command me. I've not transgressed your commandments. I've not forgotten them. I've not eaten any of it. Whether in mourning, I've not removed any of it for an unclean use. I've not given any of it for the dead. I haven't given it to my mother. I haven't given it 
to the widow, my wife, the, the, the person that needs rent. I haven't given, I've, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. And I've done according to all that you've commanded me. Now look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land from which you've given us just as you swore to your fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Family tithing is not the money. It's your confession. Jesus is the high priest of your confession. The tithe triggers your confession. This may answer a lot of questions. I've been tithing all this time. I haven't seen a result. So every month, you stand before God and you declare these things. That's what we need to be doing. Amen. Have you learned something there? That, that's a concept that I don't think many Christians know about. And that's what I encourage you to do from now on. Is just as you're tithing, you honor God. I do it at home. I'll come before God every time I work out what the tithe is, and I'll pray. And I'll say, Father, thank you. We have come far as a family. You've delivered us, and the windows of heaven are open above us. You gave us Jesus. We're blessed. We're blessed. There's absolutely nothing. Now, I have confessions of what I'm believing God for, but I, and He knows what I need, and I make confession of it. But Father, we are blessed. You look after us. You take care of us. Everything we need. Here's your tithe. I'll not eat any of it. I'll never even think of using it. Uh, it doesn't matter how much stress we come under, how much pressure, it's yours. And that's just the beginning, Father. Every time you bless us, I'm going to continuously give more and more. Show me where you want me to give, I'll give it. You see someone in need, you point them out to me, I'll bless them with it. Now, I'm living under an open window. Go ahead, bless me. Come on, give Jesus praise if you got a hold of that. Lay your hand on your heart and say this. Today I've heard the word of God. That word brought faith to my heart. I am a believer, not a doubter. As a hearer of the word, I'm also a doer. Today I'll make a quality decision. God has blessed me. He has delivered me of everything he has given me. I will always honor him with his tithe. And Father, I honor you with the fruit of my lips. You are the high priest of my confession. Jesus, I say, you have blessed me. You've blessed my household. We are blessed. Go ahead and bless us. I honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give Jesus praise. Hallelujah.